Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. listening to yeah that's probably an ad this is the ad week podcast where we talk about advertising marketing media pop culture technology because in the end everything's an ad i'm david griner i'm an editor with adweek.com uh, with me as always is our creative editor tim nudd tim is it a uh, beautiful day in maine uh you know it was a late start for the schools this morning because we've got a bunch of snow today so it is lovely though it's like 70 degrees here in alabama like for the last few days it's been it's been spring beautiful like spring weather but can i trade with you i don't know yeah yeah actually let's house swap uh and with us this week uh back on the podcast sammy main a staff writer covering digital media sammy how are you i'm good i'm nasally but i'm okay (laughs) yeah it sounded like you were pretty you came down with something pretty nasty this weekend but you sound like you're feeling better oh yeah bouncing back just one of those quick hit with the truck colds gotta get back to the grind of things well, good. Well, we appreciate you suffering through an hour with us. <laughs> uh, and also back is Christine Berkner, a staff writer covering branding and marketing. Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Yeah, good to be here. All right. Well, we're going to dive right in. we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, on the podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, which brands have taken the biggest hit to their public image over the last year. Uh, and we're going to get a rundown of which advertisers to look for in the Super Bowl. We're also going to introduce you to Adweek's newest honor, uh, the ARC Awards, which we debuted this week. Uh, we're going to tell you who won and talk a little bit about that. But first, the news. So uh, if you're a big nerd on branding, which we are, uh, you really look forward to YouGov, uh, which is an they're kind of a ranking brand metric service. Uh, they put out an annual list of the best and worst perceived brands. Basically, you can score uh, up anywhere from a negative 100 to a positive 100. So positive 100 being like super beloved brands. Uh, the This year, the, the list of like the best perceived brands did not really change. I don't think it actually changed at all. It's a very digitally heavy list. It's number one is Amazon. Uh, number two is Netflix. Uh, three is YouTube and four is Google, so obviously partners there. And number five is Lowe's, uh, being the only real retail, the only, the only real non-digital player in the top five, uh, which is is interesting. I actually had a Home Depot versus Lowe's experience this week, uh, this weekend, and it was uh, such a better experience at Lowe's. Like I always kind of think of those as interchangeable, but Lowe's was a much better experience. Everything from like the website to the service to the actual process, and I was buying a microwave for those who care. Well, you know, uh, Home Depot is actually number eight on this list, so it's close to Lowe's. Oh, good yeah, point. They are a, uh, it, that is a solid pair of front runners, and, you know, this is definitely not a, like, Barnes & Noble and Borders kind of industry. Like, the, those two are both uh, pretty stellar, uh, but I thought that was interesting that uh, 
that Lowe's creeped out ahead. What was the most interesting this uh, this year was not so much the best or even the worst. It was the ones that dropped the most over the past year because it really is this kind of, uh, for those who listen to the podcast, for those who pay attention to marketing, or just people who have existed in the universe for the last year, uh, all of these are kind of indicative of the major stories of the past year. Uh, the fastest dropping was Chipotle, which went from uh, – 4.2 to negative 8.1. Obviously, Chipotle had a lot of illness issues uh, with uh, food contamination, and they have really struggled to uh, climb out of that. So I think looking at these numbers next year will be a really fascinating um, kind of uh, view of whether or not they were successful in pulling out of that. Uh, Sammy, how was your view? of? Were you ever a Chipotle fan? Um. Kind of. I think it has a staple on, on every college campus. It kind of does its job. Ours in college was located right across from our main library, so it got a lot of foot traffic and study traffic. But I don't think I was ever a fan. I feel like the burritos are too big, and I will die on this hill. You're going to fight for medium-sized <laughs> burritos? Yes, manageable-sized burritos. They can be large, but manageable. Jeez. Do they not have, like, like Moe's will do a, a smaller version of any burrito, like a junior, I think they call it. Will Chipotle not do that? Do they just have the standard? I guess that would be, like, a kid's menu. It's kind of like at Starbucks. You can get, like, kid's temp <laughs> drinks for those of us who can't handle the real thing. So maybe I'll just try the kid's menu at Chipotle from now on. <laughs> I mean, I would do the burrito bowls, and then it would be two meals. See? I mean, it's too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. that's just frugal. It, it really it really was a good deal but i won't i don't eat at chipotle anymore because of the the food scandals yeah gross I were mean, you uh, yeah. did you consider yourself a, a fan before Christine? yeah i went there a lot i mean it's a good kind of locale it's the protein and the rice and yeah it was a good option and now i i just can't do it i just can't do it so. i i have uh you know i've only eaten at chipotle like once ever um because we have mo's here and mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys have those i can't remember if they're in new york yet but they are everywhere here i mean there's a mo's every 50 yards and you know what i love about that place is that the menu is so inscrutable like the all the items are called like the john cocktosen or the wrong dug it's like ordering from like a seinfeld reference menu or something <laughs> and at first it sucks it's a terrible place to be a first-time customer but then you get used to it and you feel like not to say cool but you just walk in and you're just you know rattling off you know your obscure ass weird order um but so yeah because of that um i haven't really hit chipotle much but uh let's talk about a few of the others that dropped wells fargo obviously with a lot of their scandal about how they were opening fictional accounts for uh real customers without your permission basically just to meet these uh completely arbitrary and over aggressive goals that management had said it's one of those classic stories where the people who paid the price the, the employees who probably got fired or, or at least severely disciplined were not the ones who came up with the problem you know they they came up with a crappy solution which was to open these fake accounts but it was basically Basically, if you don't meet these insane numbers, you'll be fired. And as a longtime Wells Fargo banker, I can tell you it has gotten out of control, or it had, where every time I went in, it was like, do you want to open this? Do you want a savings? Do you want this? And I mean, you expect a certain amount of upselling, but it, it had gotten insane. And so, uh, yeah, honestly, we are shopping around for other options for a bank after that because it was Wells Fargo's convenient, but that's just the kind of behavior that it's hard to forgive. And I don't really think the corporate culture has necessarily changed. Um, Tim, what's your thought on how Wells Fargo's image has changed over this past year? Well, I mean, clearly it's tanked and, and, you know, but what, what interests me a lot about, about this whole list is how 
you know, it doesn't even matter to, to a lot of consumers whether whether the, the scandal or has touched them directly. You know, uh, I'm sure you're going to mention Samsung, which has also uh, obviously had enormous. Uh, perception issues, but how many people actually had a, a Galaxy Note 7 explode on them? Like maybe a hundred people tops. I mean, you know, and how many people got food poisoning at Chipotle? Like almost nobody. So it's just interesting that, you know, your reputation can really take a dive and it can really, really hurt your business just out of some, I mean, obviously the, the Galaxy Note 7 was a, was a huge issue. They had to discontinue the entire production of the phone. So that, that casts into, into doubt the whole you know, their whole engineering process and why couldn't they find out what was wrong with it, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know too much about the Wells Fargo situation. Sounds like a pretty toxic culture in, internally there, which, you know, I'm not sure how that affect how much that affects consumers either, but clearly people are making decisions on what brands they're going to, going to interact with, um, you know, based on these isolated incidents. I mean, what, what struck me about Wells Fargo is that usually when there's a financial controversy or scandal, it's something that's kind of it's hard for a normal person to really get their head around. It's like Bernie Madoff or it's this like hedge fund thing. You know, this was a case where normal human, you know, just normal people uh, were having accounts opened under their name without their permission uh, to meet these sales goals, uh, which is a scary thing. And sometimes yeah, I mean, the, only way crazy. You could, yeah, the only way you could find out was to you basically do a, a credit report on yourself and find out that you had these accounts open. Under your name, I, I think to your point, four of the five of these. So Samsung is number three. Uh, they remained positive at a net score of fifteen. They are the only net positive uh, brand on this list of kind of the ones that dropped the lowest. Uh, so all the others dropped into negative territory. Samsung stayed at fifteen, but they started at twenty-two point eight, which is a stellar score. Uh, and so they really plummeted. But you've got Chipotle, Wells Fargo, Samsung, and then at number five, Wells Fargo Advisors. So obviously tied to Wells Fargo. Uh, all of those, to your point, Tim, are, are a lack of faith. I think people's faith in those brands were rattled. You can't, uh, like, whether the damage is real or not, or the extent of the damage is secondary to, it created a sense of doubt. And yeah, it's definitely a trust, a trust issue. I mean, this is a list of brand affinity of basically the questions are along the lines of, like, have you heard good things or bad things about this brand uh, in the last, I think it's like two weeks or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of goes to show that they really their their faith in those brands was eroded but there's a different one on the list which is number four the trump taj mahal uh so that's one that started at negative 3.2 so they did not have a stupendous uh, record at the beginning but it plummeted to uh negative 9.7 i think we all know that that's probably just because of the trump name and you kind of wonder i haven't looked at the full list uh i probably should have but i wonder how many of the trump related brands uh you know saw a similar level of of drop uh and i'm sure among trump loyalists it's it is probably they're probably becoming more loyal to those brands but um it's been well, definitely I think been an the, issue uh, i think the trump taj mahal closed didn't it in uh atlantic city i think that was i mean you can't get much worse than closing yeah have you heard about any negative news about this brand? yeah i heard they closed <laughs> <laughs> my question is how long have they been ranking the trump properties did they just throw these into the ranking when he announced he was running for president i mean i just wonder you know it's not a household name or at least before you know the election so well, I oh trump taj mahal specifically trump yeah steak. what about trump, trump steaks trump anything you know i you know it's just i don't know so it's, what you're asking is if it's rigged no, I was just wondering <laughs> how long YouGov has been measuring the Trump brands as part of their thing. Yeah, um, oh, that's you know. Yeah, I mean, um, but anyway. 
All right. Uh, another interesting list is the top 10 of brands that improved their standing. Uh, so these are ones that either were good and got better. Uh, Amazon got even better at number one. They went from 32 to 35, uh, which so they continue to really, I think, with Echo. I mean, just uh, streaming pretty much everything Amazon does, it does pretty well. And I think that's reflected here. Uh, but the most interesting is that the fastest rising brand was Radio Shack. Uh, and I think it's one of those where if you ask someone, have you heard anything bad about Radio Shack in the last two weeks, they would probably say no, because they just haven't heard anything about Radio Shack. That's what I said. I thought that I didn't realize that their stores were still open. We were talking about this before the podcast. And I was like, didn't they go bankrupt like three years ago and close all their stores, but their stores are still open. And yeah, maybe it's, um, yeah, we were talking about how Kevin was saying how they, um, they revamped their stores recently. So that's maybe why they're improving on this list. I'm not sure. I thought it was interesting. Um, Uber was number two behind Radio Shack in most improved. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, Uber had mm-hmm. so many perception problems. They were embroiled in so many political uh, battles, you know, over the last two or three years. And that seems to have died down, which seems to be helping their brand. Yeah. And they also had that controversy around what the dinner party with uh, with been from BuzzFeed and uh, and Michael Wolf and that you know they they reported some kind of vulgar quotes from one of the executives at Uber and I remember all that was kind of hitting around the same time and then yeah it's been pretty quiet in the last year and I think those of us who use Uber frequently uh, it's just a pretty reliable and pretty solid service I would say uh, Sammy do you use Uber much? Um, I recently switched to Lyft. I used to be an Uber user, but the more I use Lyft, the more I heard how those drivers moved from Uber to Lyft because they Mm. get treated so much better by the company. Um, Part of that is that tips are included in Uber, which means they hardly get any money. And the passengers in Lyft get to choose how much they want to tip their drivers. Um, but beyond that, like also the, the work culture and all of that as well. So I'm more of a Lyft user now than an Uber user. Yeah, I just saw the other day someone saying we're supposed to be tipping Uber drivers. Did I just like miss a memo on that? There's no way for you to do it within the app and they won't accept cash, I don't think. So they <laughs> say that it's built into the price and that just makes it very unfair for the drivers. That's why yeah. Lyft kind of gives you the option of like it can still be a $1 tip if you like didn't want to or you can say no tip or you can give them something higher. And that's kind of the, the selling price to get drivers to use Lyft. Well, a few others that uh, that rose on the list. McDonald's uh, went from 4.5 to 8.7, so a uh, pretty good rise on McDonald's. I think uh, you know uh, all-day breakfast and a few other things have really helped their brand over the last year. Uh, Facebook and Snapchat uh, both going up, and uh, Chevrolet and Nike as well. So an interesting list. Definitely, I'm not going to read them all, but go to Adweek and look for uh, the brand rankings. I guess it's YouGov. Y-O-U-G-O-V is the name of the company that ranks those. Uh, so Robert Clara, uh, one of our senior staff writers and editors, did a great job uh, compiling all that data this year. So uh one to cover one other news thing, which is just a quick recap of where we are with Super Bowl advertisers. And we're very lucky to have uh, well, both Sammy and Christine and Tim as well have all been covering uh, all the news that's coming out. But Sammy is also running our ad tracker. So uh, she can keep us uh, all up to date 
on kind of where we are in terms of who to expect uh, in the Super Bowl ads. Uh, the only kind of mildly controversial thing that came out this week uh, was a story that 84 Lumber, uh, which is a first-time advertiser, a, a kind of little-known brand that is spending a small fortune uh, to run a 90-second ad before halftime. Uh, and reportedly, in a, in a reporting campaign, uh, they said that the initial script had been rejected by Fox for being too political. Uh, we reached out to them, couldn't really get the, anyone to talk about that initial draft of the of the script, uh, but their agency, Bruner, did uh, tell us that they are considering their options and that they are still planning to be in there and that they have considered many options for the story. Uh, but I, I want to say, and Tim, maybe you can remember better, or Sammy, uh, but I want to say that the, the premise was supposed to be something about people trying to get into America for jobs and there was a wall, so I guess it would, yeah. be, it would be like an anti-Trump ad, but it's... No, I think it's building the wall he's been talking about i think that's their call to action (laughs) yeah Yeah, because it's supposed to be preventing people from coming over and maybe taking that kind of job i think it's aiming toward uh, Uh, what we've reported on is kind of the the less educated more career driven type of young male um and since this company i believe also comes kind of from um, somewhere in the Midwest. So I, I think that their state was also a strong Trump-supporting state. So it just felt too political, I think, according to Fox. Um, but as our original report kind of stated, in the last year, their marketing budget alone was only $1 million. And this ad will be so much more than just that whole year of spending for them. So they're obviously very passionate about it. I, I just kind of, it's very curious as to where all the money is coming from. Hmm. Uh, they are based in Pennsylvania, oh, there uh, you go. according to a quick Google here. Uh, so that was really, uh, I'm sure we will get more controversy more uh, as the uh, content of these ads comes out. Uh, one bit of news that we had today from Christina Monlos, uh, one of our staff writers, reported that Bud Light uh, will be using the Super Bowl to roll out a new tagline, uh, Famous Among Friends. Christine, what do you think of that tagline? Um, I don't know. Uh, not much. I, I mean, it doesn't really grab me. Uh, uh, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Did the creative come with the spot? I haven't had a chance to look at it. No, we'll have to see we... what the actual ad looks like. I'd say, I, I would say Bud Light is famous on, among more than friends. Isn't it famous among everybody? I know that it's a weird, it's a weird, like kind of self-imposed limitation, but I guess, I guess I get it. I mean, everyone's friends, right? I guess. It kind of reminds me of like I don't really get it, <laughs> like champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. Like it kind of plays on like <laughs> I don't know building that camaraderie, but with Bud Light instead of champagne. I don't know. It just feels like broy and fun, probably. Well, yeah, and wasn't their campaign a couple years ago? Grab some buds. So yeah. maybe it's kind of a play on that. Well, it's from Wyden and Kennedy, which did last year's kind of underwhelming. Uh, what did they call it, Tim? The the Bud Light Party. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. It was the Seth Rogen and uh, Amy Schumer oh, right. uh, fake political ads, which didn't go over very well. I think they ended mm. before uh, they were supposed to. Yeah. I mean, that campaign, um, I, I get it. Um, it was supposed to like unite a divided America, but instead it picked like <laughs> two of the most kind of polarizing comedians and yeah. it focused on like transgender acceptance, which is cool if you're into that, but not exactly the place you go if you want to like, Hey, let's all let's all chill out, have some beers, and talk about the importance of gender inclusiveness. You know, um, so it was a weird campaign uh, from Wyden and, and did not feel very Wideny uh, in that 
old, you know, old spice kind of Nike even way. Uh, so yeah, we have faith. We'll see what they come out with this time. Budweiser's going to be, or Anheuser-Busch is going to be all over the Super Bowl. They've got um, Budweiser's going to be in it, uh, Bud Light, Bush, uh, and then can someone remember there's one other? I one think of, it's is it those three, Ultra? but yeah, oh, maybe Ultra. that's it. You're correct. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, that they're going to be in each um, quarter of the game. Yeah, Budweiser. I mean, Anheuser-Busch always has four to five minutes of, of time on the game. So this is pretty pretty much in, on par with what they what they usually do. Another trend that kind of comes up and down is the uh, automakers. You know, it seems some years they are half of the ads. And then other years, they seem oddly kind of vacant. Um, this is definitely seems like a heavy up year. We already have six automakers announced. Uh, Audi, Buick, Honda, Kia, Mercedes, and Lexus. Uh most of those are uh, kind of veteran Super Bowl advertisers. Uh, are any of those new, Sammy or Tim? No, I think all of those are repeats. Yeah, they're all repeats. Um, Buick is only in its second year. They they, mm-hmm. they ran their first ad last year. It was uh, Emily Ratajkowski and Odell Beckham Jr. were in that spot. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was a 30, but it was pretty fun. It was took place at a wedding, and uh, Emily catches the bouquet like one-handed like odell caught the foot caught the football oh, that yeah. time God, and I totally so that yeah i spoke to buick um last week and they were super psyched about how that spot did last year so they're coming back for an encore um we don't know what it's about but uh, i think it'll it'll break it'll be pre-released before the game so we'll get to see it probably next week or actually probably the week after i think uh, the 31st we'll see that one it feels like this is going to be a, a celebrity heavy year to um you know, some stuff that's uh, that we can't talk about yet, but uh, and even the stuff that has been announced, this thing's just going to be a wash. It feels like several brands are going to kind of like shove as many celebrities into these spots as they can. Uh, part of me wonders if that's just leveraging the fact that all these celebrities now have these massive social followings that they can kind of continue to push out, uh, you, you know, the spots. But I don't know. It just feels like that that's one trend we're already seeing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's, inter- what's, what's interesting to me this year is obviously um, the country's in a state of of pretty high anxiety you know lately obviously we're coming off this you know very very tense election and so you know i think uh, there will be a lot of escapism probably just to to you know have a night away from that stuff but i think there's a chance that one or two advertisers will sneak in there and actually try to address that stuff head on you know and i think chrysler is is a good bet to do that they always you know they always swoop in at the 11th hour with uh you know, you guys probably remember the, the Clint Eastwood Halftime in America spot from 2012. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Chrysler does something, you know, uh, pretty memorable on the game this year. Uh, something sort of semi-political. We'll see. Yeah, Memorable is a good word for Chrysler's ads in the Super Bowl. I, I feel like, you know, going back to, uh, I can't remember now if it's really called Born from Fire or Imported from Detroit, but the, the Eminem ad uh, from Detroit uh, is still kind of one of those almost perfect Super Bowl spots. It was long. It was, you couldn't, like every party kind of stopped to watch that ad. Yeah, and and that's- uh, Won won the Emmy Award that year. It was a great great spot. And it's been the, that's kind of the the thing that they have nailed is the ability to just grind a party to a stop in a good way, not in like the (laughs) insurance dead kid way. Like, um, (laughs) so uh, tell us some other stuff uh, that you've learned on the ad tracker. Any other new uh, Super Bowl advertisers? Anybody interesting? Uh, coming in, Sammy. 
Um, I'm always a fan of when people get to debut just because that feels very fun and like sentimental for them. I don't know. So we have at least two brands making their debut, both from Procter & Gamble. That's Febreze and Mr. Clean. And those are kind of surprising to me that they haven't been in a Super Bowl yet. Um, so maybe with some players kind of sitting this one out, like Doritos and Butterfinger and other brands like that, maybe that kind of made way for, for some fun cleaning brands to come in and clean stuff up. So that'll be kind of interesting. And one I'm kind of looking forward to is avocados from Mexico, just because I feel like there is so much talk about Mexico this year during the election that maybe that'll be a chance for them to, to speak out about it. Or it'll just be reminding people that we might have like an avocado short soon if we don't chill our our guac extra at chipotle so to speak yeah i think they have already said they are not going to get political um but you know just saying the word mexico they've had a they've had good ads the last two years Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see what they do. I think is it GSTNM that does their advertising? I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and the uh, you know I still I want to say the first one was the weird like how it was like God doling out uh, products and animals to different countries. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and last year was the uh, the aliens one with with, yeah, with Scott Bayo making a cameo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder if he'll be back. He's uh, speaking of people who've become more polarized. He's going to be in Trump's, Trump's cabinet now. I mean. Yeah, it's like, is Febreze going to do a joke where they're like <laughs> taking the smell out of Trump's cabinet? Or... Oh, <laughs> man. That's a good one. Zinger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that's as political as we get over here. Um, <laughs> So uh, that's, it. that's it for news. And uh, thank you, Sammy, for keeping tabs on that. Thank you, Christine and Tim, for everything, uh, all the coverage that you guys are rolling out, along with Christina Monlos, Patrick Coffey, all of our staffers have done just stellar job. And we are just about to hit the thick of it. So make sure you are watching adweek.com every day uh, for all your exciting Super Bowl updates. Uh, and we're going to have lots more coverage of that coming soon. But for now, let's talk about ads worth watching. So this is our weekly roundup of the uh, commercials, the spots, the long-form branded videos and PSAs that are actually worth taking time to sit down and watch in a world where advertising is largely terrible. Tim Nudd goes through all the the detritus every week and finds the the good golden nuggets. Tim, <laughs> what did you find for us this week? That 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 does describe my job pretty well, actually. Um... Yeah, the first one I wanted to talk about uh, is actually a fake ad, and you know, fake ads are hit or miss, but this one's pretty awesome. This one was for the fast food chicken chain, Los Pollos Hermanos, and if you haven't heard of Los Pollos Hermanos, that's because you haven't watched enough Breaking Bad. It is the fictional restaurant chain in that show uh, run by Gus Fring, who of course is the wonderful bad guy uh, in Breaking Bad, played by Giancarlo Esposito. He is uh, Walter White's ultimate nemesis um, throughout the middle seasons of Breaking Bad. Um, So Breaking Bad actually wrapped up, uh, hard to believe, it was actually way back in 2013, three and a half years ago was the series finale, uh, and the Gus Fring character, his arc, character arc, ended uh, a few seasons before that. Um, But anyone who was watching a local Albuquerque TV station uh, in the wee hours of the morning last week, one night, um, suddenly... As we all were. as, As many of us were. Uh, suddenly saw Gus on the screen and uh, in what appeared to be a new ad for Los Pollos Hermanos. So let's listen to a bit of the ad here. At Los Pollos Hermanos, we know only the best will do for you and your family. 
What does family taste like? In your heart, you know it's the best ingredients, the spiciest spices, all prepared with love and care, and always delivered with a friendly smile. That's the Los Pollos Hermanos promise. Come in and try our new curly fries. We are so sure you'll like them. And if you don't, they're on me. Los Pollos Hermanos. Taste the family. So it turns out uh, it's a fake commercial. It's part of uh, AMC's current campaign for season three of Better Call Saul, which is coming out this spring. And, uh, of course, Better Call Saul is the prequel to Breaking Bad. It tells the story of Jimmy McGill, the, the lawyer played by Bob Odenkirk, uh, before he turned into Saul Goodman, who's, the, of course, the lawyer uh, to the, the, all the drug crooks in Breaking Bad. So I really enjoyed this ad. It's really uh, Giancarlo Esposito uh, playing Gus Fring. He's talking about the curly fries. He's got a big grin on his face. It's kind of a you know really insipid, perfect parody of of you know really pathetic uh, fast food advertising. And actually, um, our TV reporter Jason Lynch was out. At, uh, he's been out at TCA, uh, the Winter Press Tour, out in Pasadena for the past week or so. And he actually spoke to Giancarlo about the ad, and Giancarlo told him that it was his idea to do it. The, he'd been wanting to do it for, for years, way back during the Breaking Bad days. He'd, he'd even suggested it to the producers. Um, but at that time, it didn't really fit with, with Breaking Bad, which had kind of a more serious tone. This is a really goofy, fake ad. And of course, um, Better Call Saul is a bit more of a lighthearted show. So they went for it, and I thought it turned out really great. Are either of you, Christine or Sammy, are you big Breaking Bad fans at all? Yeah, I, I binge watched the entire series a couple of winters ago. So, yes, I loved it. Um, and I thought the ad was great. Um, and, I mean, just the tagline, taste the family. I mean, that, you know, it was just, it's just awesome. That's like, going to be, I that's going to be Coke's tagline next year. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, but I, I really liked the spot. I thought it was great. The, uh the one thing I've always loved about Gus Fring is that he is a perfect example of when the villain, like you find yourself rooting for the villain more than the hero. And of course in Breaking Bad, yeah. he's, an, he's an anti-hero. He's, he is kind of a disgusting villain as the star. Uh, but yeah, Fring was just like, you were like, yeah, that's how you run a meth business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He really had his stuff together. I mean, it was, yeah. Um, I liked that character a lot. I mean, and it was, he was just so perfectly, creepy his front of being you know the fa the genial fast food owner guy was so good and yeah you just you kind of rooted for him even though yeah he was a terrible person you know jason got a lot of good little tidbits from giancarlo when he interviewed him apparently um Espos esposito had been pushing to have a, a whole spin-off show around gus's character which would have been kind oh. of interesting yeah you know but of course they, they went they ended up going with with saul goodman and i think that's i mean obviously uh Bob Odenkirk is so great and you know I think a lot of people were questioning whether a spinoff of the show would work at all considering how how celebrated this program was uh, but I, I, I've watched uh, I've kept up with Better Call Saul I think it's pretty good I, I still think the flashback episodes to the origin story of, of uh, Poyos Hermanos uh, are probably my favorite episodes of yeah those series. are great those are great definitely and so, I mean, I mean, but I don't know if there's enough for a series yeah. you know I thought yeah anyway yeah, I mean, if, if his whole point is to, like, be so good that he's, you know, he's the anti 
Brian Cranston, like he's the anti-Heisenberg. He's like the guy who knows how to lay low and not go around. Like he doesn't have a signature hat and go around like yeah. <laughs> bragging. He's so good about at hiding. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what else do you have for us this week, Tim? Well, you know, it, it, it's been a slow couple of weeks to, to start the year. We haven't seen any like super incredible breakthrough advertising. So these next two that I'm going to talk about are actually potentially you know, we've joked around about ads not worth watching. So these might, depending on your point of view, these might be, you know, not worth watching. But anyway, the first one is uh, an outdoor board from a pharmacy out in Sweden, and it was created by the agency Akastam Holst, who we've actually written about quite a bit lately because they do some pretty awesome IKEA advertising. So for this campaign, they took a digital billboard and they outfitted it with a smoke detector. And every time a smoker walked by, um, the man on the ad would start coughing as though he were being, you know, affronted by the smoke. So um, this is a pretty weird tactic, you know, public shaming people who are smokers. And um, Gabe Beltron wrote this up for us, and he called it the, the world's rudest, most passive-aggressive billboard, which I thought was pretty spot on. Um, so I guess on the one hand, you could think it's, you know, it is kind of clever, like outdoor advertising that interacts with its environment is pretty cool. And, you know, this is actually the same agency and client team that made the really cool digital board for the Stockholm subway a couple of years ago where they, they sold hair products by showing a woman whose hair would blow around whenever a train would arrive in the subway. And that, I mean, everybody loved that ad. And so this is clearly uh, an attempt to do something similar that, you know, an, an outdoor ad that interacts in some way with the people that come near it. Um, but at the same time, the interactive, the interactivity here is sort of, you know, it's, it's centered on a questionable strategy of trying to, you know, irritate people into changing their behavior. So yeah, I, I like the idea that like what people have always wanted from advertising is for it to be more intrusive and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you look at the case study video and the people who are, you know, the smokers who come near this thing are clearly annoyed. So they're not even trying to hide that fact. I mean, a couple of them chuckle, but I'm sure they were prompted to chuckle or maybe they're actors to begin with. But, um, I don't know. I mean, as a stunt, it's kind of interesting. Our readers have been sharing it, you know, a lot because it is sort of unique, but I'm really not sure it would actually get people to stop smoking. All right. And uh, the last one I, I want to say is is even weirder. I feel like today's is there. there's no actual ads worth watching. These are just like weird things worth worth yeah. discussing. <laughs> well, this is an ad. And, and again, like you say, this one has a, a questionable strategy also. So, what happened was this. On, on, on December 16th, a popular beauty blogger in Israel named Ashley Waxman Bakshi, um, she was giving a, her regular live broadcast on YouTube where she was answering uh, questions from her fans. Uh, but for some reason, in this episode of her show, she was driving around Tel Aviv and she was checking her phone to get, to get the questions. And uh, we'll just listen to a, a little bit of the, uh, the live stream here, and you'll notice something a little kind of crazy happens. So we're told that about 2,500 people were watching this uh, live stream when this happened, and, and uh, they it appears that Ashley suddenly has been in a car accident and the viewers were left hanging for about 10 seconds. Uh, and then suddenly Ashley pops up on the screen and tells the viewers she's okay, that it was all pre-recorded, It was fake. And that the whole thing was a PSA about safe driving, how you shouldn't check your phone while you're behind the wheel. So, I mean, that's all well and good, but obviously the question here is, 
is it okay to shock your audience like this uh, into thinking they've just witnessed something horrific? Um, they've possibly watched someone they know and like die before their eyes just to get across a safety message. So, I mean, I suppose you could, you could, you could ask whether it crosses a line. We talked, we talked to the agency here, which is BBR, Sachi and Sachi in Tel Aviv and a strategic planner there told us that um, they did this just, you know, simply because, normal don't text and drive messaging just isn't getting through to young people today and they felt that this was this was acceptable you know a strategy and that 10 seconds was was an okay amount of time to keep people in suspense um they said if if they had keep, kept people hanging for an hour or two or whatever that 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 would have been cruel but this wasn't and she also said and, and you could take this you know with a grain of salt that that most people they talked to who had actually experienced this um didn't complain about it that they thought, they thought it was okay and that it might actually change their habits so i don't know i mean from my point of view um it's a little it crosses a line i think that it's a little you know there's so much fake news out there to begin with i'm not sure it's worth it you know to fake someone's death in such a visceral way to scare people into changing their behavior uh, again you know it, it, similar to the coughing billboards it may be a clever idea but um you know at what cost really sammy what's your take on this one I think maybe the difference is that this was a live stream and not just like a pre-recorded normal beauty vlogger video. I think because it was happening in front of people live, uh, that didn't give them the chance to think that it might be an ad or anything like that, especially because sometimes with already uploaded videos, you can have like details in the description and links to like more information and stuff like that. So I think that's where the biggest element of s surprise and shock and whether or not that's cruel comes in. Um, I, I kind of don't mind the idea behind it in that she has such a large audience and can really reach out to young people although it does seem a very extreme way to do it but just kind of like the school shooting ad we saw a couple months ago no that wasn't a live stream or anything but it was very shocking and very visceral for people as well kind of bringing that reality into their into their living rooms or into their you know their phones into their homes so I kind of I, I respect the message behind it but I do think kind of making it a live stream made might have taken it a step too far. I do feel like some of these surprise things, um, you know, and and there's, you know, the idea of trigger warnings has become, you know, a bit of a of a, a joke for some people in discussion, you know, in, in the middle of this whole kind of left versus right aspects of Internet discussion. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of people have been traumatized uh, in their lives. And when you when you kind of do these abrupt shocks on them. I, I, I worry sometimes that even if it's only like one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand people that you could be, you know, really kind of sending them into uh, some really terrible memories, especially when you're talking school shootings, when you're talking about, I, I personally, I don't really think this one crossed too much of a line. I think they're right that this sadly is about the only way you could do it. This seems like kind of a extreme extension of the Snickers uh, Twitch things where, you know, people would tune into a popular a Twitch streamer, and then that person would slowly turn into a different person altogether. Uh, and the the viewers had no idea what was happening. They didn't know it was an ad. Obviously, no one died uh, or fake died. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm already expecting, Tim, that in your roundup of the creative trends of the year, uh, you're going to find a way to get snuffertizing in there. There's going to be so many fake deaths by the end of the year. I can't wait. Um, 
All right. Well, thank you so much for rounding up the ads worth watching. I want to leave a little time here to talk about uh, our, our new award. So let's get to it. It's time for our big discussion of the week. All right. So this week in the uh, magazine of Adweek, we uh, unveiled the ARC Awards, which is a new set of awards we do. We have a few different awards that we give out uh, over the course of the year. Uh, some are you know, brand genius for the best brand marketers. Uh, we, of course, named the agencies of the year, uh, the ads of the year. Uh, but uh, this one is a little different. This is re recognizing great storytelling uh, and across digital, film, uh, all manner of, of different media. And storytelling is something we are all very passionate about here. You'll, If you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you know that we spend a lot of time talking about kind of the different ways that brands and content creators tell their stories and the, the ways that uh, are effective and some are not. Uh, so the ARC Awards are definitely uh, created to celebrate uh, the best of what what is working. Uh, so that's what the ARC Awards are. Um and what we were looking for in winners, uh, we had a very diverse jury of industry uh, executives and experts. It's a big pool of them you can see on adweek.com. Uh, but uh, they were obviously looking for things that took full advantage of the medium they were in, pushed the envelope a little bit uh, or a lot, uh, and just found new ways to kind of tell what maybe is a uh, you know, the same kinds of stories that marketers have been telling for many years. Uh, and so let's talk about a few of the, the winners. Uh, we're lucky to have some of the writers who wrote the profiles of a few of the winners, both Christine uh, and uh, Sammy wrote profiles of, of two of the winners. I did want to cover one uh, that Christina Monlos, uh, one of our frequent podcast uh, hosts, she uh, couldn't be on today, but she wrote a piece about the best nonfiction in the digital category. That was CNN's branded content studio. Uh, did a campaign called Fighting for Better with Modelo, the beer brand. And uh, the creative agency was Ogilvy & Mather in Chicago uh, with Horizon Media as the media shop. And they basically, they spent a month uh, in a small town called Garden City, Kansas. Uh, it's about 30,000 people. Uh, they apparently speak more than a dozen languages there. And uh, diversity is seen as a big strength. Uh, and so the brand and the content creators felt that it represented the best vision for the future of America. So a, a somewhat political uh, message, but of course, uh, one that works well with Modelo as Mexican beer brand. Uh, and uh, their goal was a million views, but they've surpassed, I believe, 4.6 million. So obviously have uh, far exceeded their goal. Um, but uh, so congratulations to them that you can check out. Uh, you can go to Adweek, look for the ARC Awards, uh, or you can just look up Fighting for Better is the name of the uh, film series, the short film series that they created. Uh, so congratulations to CNN's branded content studio and to Modelo and Ogilvy. Uh, but uh, let's talk about one that uh, one of our guests actually profiled. Sammy, you wrote about the best use of short form fiction in film. Uh, and who was the winner in that category? So the, the company behind that one was American Family Insurance, and BBDO created the spot for them. Um, the overall theme of the ad was about dad insurance. And so it's kind of this, um, this short clip. Gosh, it's under five minutes. Um, and we kind of see this kid growing up in a, in a kind of rough neighborhood. But he's daydreaming on his bed, and he's watching videos of flamenco dancers. And you can tell that's, like, really what he wants to be doing. Um, but his dad comes in and notices this and gives him a box, and in the box is a uniform for judo training. Now, that's like the opposite of flamenco dancing. So the kid is like super sad, um, but goes to, to learn judo because that's what his dad wants him to do. 
Um, and his dad like walks him to class and he has to walk him by all these neighborhood bullies who call the kid names and daddy's boy. And it's like very disheartening and really dark. Like it, it's shot sometime in, in winter, it looks like. So all the colors are very like desaturated. It's very like sad to see this kid who wants to do something so bright and colorful kind of growing up in this landscape. Um, so he kind of goes through the the judo training and, and rises through the ranks, but we can tell that it is so not his favorite and that it is so not easy to do. Um, but his dad is with him the whole time, like in all of his classes and eventually within like competitions. And um, we see him kind of take his time with it and go through the ranks. Um, and it's kind of a bit of a reveal by by the end of the of the short um his dad gives him another box, and this time it is a flamenco dancer's outfit. And the kid is just so stoked. He's, like, so happy. He, You can tell he kind of thought his dad forgot all about his dream. Um, so he, he gets dressed up, and he, like, goes to walk to class, and he, like, doesn't even care about the bullies. Now he's walking by himself. He just brushes off their insults. Um, so the whole thought behind it was really kind of giving kids this dad insurance, this like, let's let's train you and give you some confidence and some backbones that you can take care of yourself in case things go south. But all the while, just kind of preparing you for really um, taking on the, the dreams that you want to achieve. Yeah, that's a, a great summary. Uh, congratulations to BBDO New York uh, on that one and to American Family Insurance. It certainly was a memorable one. I remember it took me a minute the first time I saw that to really understand because they do such a good job in cl- kind of classic BBDO style of not really hammering the, the not not the punchline but or the twist, but, you know, kind of the reveal, the conclusion. Mm-hmm. They just don't stick it right in your face. They don't have a big dialogue about it. I don't think there is any dialogue at that point. Correct. Uh, uh, really well handled and, and just a great example. I think storytelling, uh, this one was a finalist. I think may have won gold. I think it did win gold at the Epico Awards where I was a juror. Uh, so it certainly is. And it was in the category of storytelling there as well. So uh, really a fantastic example of that. Um, and uh, another winner in best sponsored content uh, was Forsman and Botenforce uh, and their newest installment at the time of the Volvo trucks. Uh, Tim, is it called the Live Test Series? The Live Test Series, yep. This yeah. one was uh, Look Who's Driving. Yeah, so Look Who's Driving. Christine, uh, you wrote about this one. Tell us the premise for those who haven't seen it and then uh, kind of why it was, why the judges picked this one. Sure. Um, so this one, Look Who's Driving, is actually a four-year-old girl, um, and she is driving. So the idea was Volvo wanted to um, show that their trucks, their 10-ton massive trucks, are really tough. So they decided to um, have a four-year-old test drive the truck via a remote control. So you know, it's sort of the idea of, um, you know, kids are the toughest, you know, they beat things up, you know, whatever, kids are crazy kind of thing. So they have um, this girl um, driving the truck or remote control, you know, driving the truck with a remote control and she's taking it over um, like ravines and they have this crazy course where, you know, she's driving it through all like through a model house and like all this stuff. And she's just having a blast um they have some fun music backing it up um and then at the end she kind of spins a giant donut in a parking lot of with this truck so um yeah so the idea was you know to kind of show off the features of the truck in a way that um would be kind of commercial and fun and that would catch people's attention um this same live test series they did a couple last year or the year before 
with Jean-Claude Van Damme. They had him uh, doing the splits in between two giant trucks. So um, it's the same sort of premise to kind of um, it's trucks are such a weird specialized kind of B2B product. So they wanted to um, catch the attention of a broader audience while also, you know, if you're um, a truck buyer, um, get them to kind of come to their website and check out more more of the truck's features. So um, it was kind of a combo of those things. It was interesting when uh, Epic Split won at uh, Cannes, uh, where it won Gan- Grand Prix in film, I believe, right, Tim? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I'm sure it co-won with Harvey Nichols. <laughs> It's always the way. Yes. Um, the uh, the year that they won there, I, I had interviewed the team behind that uh, behind Epic Split going into it, and you know one of the major, I guess, criticisms. Really, honestly, the only major criticism anyone could come up with for that ad because that one was pretty much perfect uh, was that uh, how does this sell trucks? You know, this is a B two B product, and and okay, so yeah, it got however many tens of millions of views, but how many of those guys are buying trucks? Uh, you know, and these are to be clear, commercial trucks. These are semi-tractor trailers. And, uh, and so the interesting thing was the answer was uh, from, the, from the brand marketer. Uh, it was that, you know, that their strategy is to reach this mass market, to reach this uh, kind of broad audience, but with a focus on the specific features so that they spark this conversation between truck drivers. You know, there's a lot of truck drivers out there and the buyers listen to the truck drivers and the truck drivers listen to their friends and family. And so when everyone, you know, if you're a truck driver and everyone, you know, is asking you about Volvo, then that influences you and then you influence the buyer. And so it was a really fascinating kind of, uh, and they said that they, they would not give us numbers at the time of how their sales had gone up, except to say that sales had gone up. Um, yeah, and the fact, uh, I think it won the Grand Prix in film in 2014. And then the following year at Cannes, it won the Grand Prix for creative effectiveness, which is basically uh, how much did sales improve. So sales did go up significantly. And yeah, it was a campaign almost like, I think it won at the Effies also. I mean, it's a campaign that clearly um, boosted the boosted sales for this brand a lot. Uh, so this spot, uh, while not quite as huge or as kind of public, I, I did really find it to be a great. They they followed up Epic Split shortly after with a really kind of mediocre uh, stunt where like a, a a valet driver in Monaco or someplace like he's parking all these Lamborghinis and stuff, and then a guy pulls up with the Volvo uh, truck. And it was just so flat after like producing one of the best ads of all time that everyone was just kind of, oh, oh. Okay, and then uh, and then this one came along, and I think the Sophie ad with little girl is uh, just so good. Uh, it's not uh, necessarily telling a narrative story, but it is creating a, a piece of fantastic content that has all these wonderful little moments, like when she gets distracted by the drone and she like looks away for a minute, and the truck tips over and or like rolls down a hill because she's oh, yeah. she's not yeah. paying attention, and like the look on the supposed tester, you know, his face who's standing and just like just kind of glaring at her uh, it's just so those little moments of, of kind of subtle acting mixed with real you know the real little things that happen with having a four-year-old girl it's a great piece of content so glad to see it getting its honors um, and let's see we've got the other category we want to talk about is best charity effort best kind of uh, advocacy work uh, this was uh, I guess I'll give a quick little language warning because there's no way around uh having some language with this one. So if, you're, if you've got kids listening with you, you may want to fast forward or pause for a minute uh, because it is Martin Agency's world biggest, world's biggest asshole. 
for for donate life uh and uh see I, tony case wrote about this one for us but tim you i believe wrote about it or edited our initial piece on this one do you want to kind of give a rundown of the plot Sure. So it tells the story of a guy named Coleman F. Sweeney, who is uh, the aforementioned world's biggest asshole. So he, they show him peeing in a beer bottle while speeding in his pickup truck. Uh, then he throws the bottle out the window. He shoots a paint gun at his neighbor's dog. Uh, he steals women's underwear from a laundromat. Basically, he's like the most unseemly, horrible person you can imagine. Uh, but then uh, the reveal towards the end is that when he dies, we discover that he... Um, unexpectedly had signed up to be an organ donor. So the world's biggest asshole um, also committed sort of the world's most selfless act. And, uh, you know, this unbelievable jerk ended up being an awesome guy. So that was kind of a, you know, one of those classic, um, you know, twist reveals at the end. And Martin Agency, again, one of the great creative agencies uh, like BBDO, they, they just, you know, and Forsman for that matter, um, they really did this one, you know, the, the pacing of it and, and the character were all just really great. Yeah, for those who uh, don't know, Martin is the agency behind Geico's ads. Uh, and so definitely kind of one of the most honored. But uh, I think typically a lot of us only think about Geico, really. Uh, so it's always nice to see them kind of stretch their wings and do something a little more narrative. Uh, I did want to point out that the actor playing it. Well, first, let's, let's listen to him. So the actor is Thomas Jane, uh, who, if you watch The Expanse on Sci-Fi, just uh, kind of their big sci-fi, space opera, um, he is one of the main characters in that. He plays Miller. Uh, but... Uh, I feel like I just kind of discovered him and he's one of those where once you hear about him or really notice him, you see him everywhere. Uh, and I think that's only going to become more true in the coming year. Let's listen to a little bit of the world's biggest asshole. Even to children, he was an asshole. He was, as they say, born to it. But then the strangest thing happened. Something entirely unexpected. Colin Sweeney died. A brain aneurysm, well, subarachnoid hemorrhage to be more specific. And it came as he argued over whether extra fries should be included in a $1.99 early bird breakfast, which was a typical Coleman Sweeney play. So that's, uh, you can get a, get a sense of kind of what this guy was like. Thomas Jane does not, I don't think he has any dialogue. Uh, in this, uh, which is too bad because I think that's where he really shines. He is a he has a just kind of a stellar delivery. I wanted to point out while it was not uh, part of the Arc Awards, uh, I did want to point out another ad of his that I really like uh, that may have been overlooked by a lot of American audiences. It was for Scandinavian Airlines, uh, and it was called Travelers Think Big. It was a campaign about basically how if you're really into traveling, you uh, tend to think bigger than other people. And the highlight of that campaign was one where Thomas Jane plays this dad who is following his little girl as she's like learning to ride a bike and she finally gets going and he, he sends her off on the bike and he's basically just starts doing this monologue that just keeps going. And it's one of those where it could have been terrible, but his delivery and his, his uh, kind of, you know, his person personality that he brings to the role was so good. So I just want to play a little of that here just so you can get a sense of, of him actually talking. Go, go, go anywhere. Go to China, go see a panda, go see three pandas. If you get hungry, go eat. Go eat someplace amazing. Go eat at a three-star restaurant. Go eat 
exotic food that people only dream about eating. Eat a fried flour on a bed of oysters and drink bee spit and go make friends with someone interesting and go to that interesting friend's wedding in Hong Kong and go get lost and go find yourself again and go somewhere else. Go to Los Angeles and go buy that dress that only you love and that store that only you know about and go wear that dress to a party and go talk to somebody there. Don't be shy. Don't ever be shy. Go marry that person or don't. Go have kids or don't. And if you do, go fishing with your kids and go catch that big kahuna. Let it go. Catch it again and let it go. And then don't stop. Just don't ever, ever stop. And then if you do, then don't. Dad? So again, that was Thomas Jane from Scandinavian Airlines. Is uh Travelers Think Big. I think that was a 2016 campaign. Uh, but I just kind of include that because I feel like we are going to see Thomas Jane a lot uh, in the in the coming year or two. He's just one of those that his his advertising portfolio is rapidly uh, filling up with really incredible work. So I think we're going to see more of him. But uh, thank you to uh, Sammy, to Christine for joining us to talk about the ARC Awards. Uh, my only regret is that we could not have a lot of the top editors who worked so hard on this program because they were all heading, oh, poor guys, all heading to uh, Utah for Sundance. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, uh, they could not be here. But Jim Cooper, our uh, editorial director, Michael Berge, uh, who edited much of this and really generated uh, a lot of the work behind it. Congratulations to them. Sorry we could not have them on. And ditto for Christina Monlos, uh, who also worked on this and is en route to uh, to Sundance. Uh, so if you are into all things Sundance and the kind of brand uh, interactions with some of that, uh, be sure to check out adweek.com in the coming days. On that note, uh, don't forget, you can drop us a line anytime you want. We are at podcast at adweek.com. If you'd like to send us an email, that's podcast at adweek.com. We love getting your notes. And uh Let's see what we got coming up. We've got, uh, obviously, a lot more Super Bowl. Uh, Tim, anything else coming up? I feel like my brain is only full of Super Bowl at the moment. So it's all Super Bowl from now through sort of early February. So we're, we're, we're locked in on that coverage. And uh, we've got some uh, cool new stuff coming on adweek.com, which I think I'm still under self-imposed embargo about, but I will... Uh, We'll be back to talk about pretty soon. Uh, and so stay tuned for that. And definitely check out Sammy's ad. Uh, if you look for Adweek Super Bowl ads, Super Bowl ad tracker, any of that, you will find her ad tracker, which she is keeping updated. Uh, so definitely check that out. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, today's episode is produced by Christina Monlos and edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, but more importantly, they help new audiences discover the podcast and find your, your fellow ad nerds so that they can find us. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to the panel. And we will be back next week. Next week.